Well, this morning, um, it's good to be with you all again. Uh, we're going to be continuing this morning in our vision series. Uh, so if you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and, and uh, pop that open to the first John. Uh, not the first John you get to, but first John. First John is actually after John. Thank you to Aaron for reading that for us. Um, so this morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of spiritual family. Um, and this is something for me that over the years I've taught a lot on um, as the Lord has allowed me to be in ministry for a number of years. And it's something that the Lord has um, put on my heart for many years as a, as a point of emphasis and my, my wife as well and our family. And the Lord has really taught us a lot about it. But it's something that um, as we've gone on, the Lord has really taken this concept from uh, a point of theory you will, a point of theology, a point of abstract to reality. And along the way, that has been bumpy for us in many ways. Um, this idea that uh, for so long I've taught on and I've, I've searched the scriptures on and we've asked the Lord to, to help us to understand what this means. And we, we've, we've really tried to intentionally live this out in many ways over the, over the course of the years as God has led us along. And um, to be quite honest with you, it's been really hard. It's really hard. Along the way, we've experienced some of the, the, the deepest hurt, some of, the, some of the, the hardest situations relationally that we've ever faced. And, it, and it, you could probably draw a direct line to uh, the result of us wanting to live in this way that God tells us to live. But, but along with that, we can, we can confidently say that with all of the hurt and the pain and the, the trial and the bumpiness of living as spiritual family, along with that has come some of the, the richest and fullest blessing that we've ever experienced from God. So, so it, when I say this, I, I hope that when we, as we talk about this this morning, I hope that we can, we can continue to do this as, as God takes this idea. And, and I truly believe that here God has blessed us in this way. This isn't a, a, um, necessarily a corrective kind of sermon this morning that, that we feel like, hey, we're, we're severely lacking because I don't believe that to be true. God, is, God has really blessed our church with, with this concept. But, I, but, I, but along with that, th there's um, one, we're going to talk about the, the reasons why we need to be reminded of this. And two, the way that God can sustain us in and through it. We need to be sustained in and through it because it, it gets hard. And I often tell people that when, we, when we're having conversations about this topic, like, if it's hard, that probably means you're doing it right. <laughs> it's, it's actually happening if it gets hard. It's a good sign. So this morning, I, I, I hope that we can frame it in this way as uh, something that we, we have learned a lot about and God has really blessed us with. But as we continue to press into this idea, God can take us deeper and deeper into to deeper depths of his grace in it for us all. And so that's our hope for this morning as we, as we talk about this idea of spiritual family. And so we're, as we continue through this, as we do every year, we kind of go through our, our vision series. And we, we talk about the things that we believe God has, has given us as Cross City Church. Points of emphasis for us. Sort of core principles that we use to give shape to how we do church and how we think and how we preach and how we live life. And all the things that we do, these are some of the, the, the most core things that are driving those decisions. And so every year we want to we kind of refresh our minds and our hearts in these ideas. 
from God's word, not just something that we sit around as pastors and, and sort of try to scheme up. These are things that we believe come straight out of God's word for us. And so we want to we organize ourselves around them because they are from him. And, and then what we understand about ourselves as people is that we're very forgetful. By nature, we are forgetful. We forget. We forget our keys. We forget all kinds of stuff. We forget who we are. We forget where we're going. We forget why we got up and went to the kitchen. We forget all kinds of stuff. And, and God understands this about us. And God, all throughout Scripture, is, is helping his people to remember. He does a lot of things for that purpose alone, is to help them to remember. You might even argue that the Bible itself is given in part for that reason, to, to, to give us the message of God and who he is and to then help us to remember that message. That's why he put it in a book so that we could carry it around with us. He didn't just send us like a message that is going to self-destruct like, like Inspector Gadget, right? This message will self-destruct and then the message goes away. No, he wants us to remember this message, so he gives it to us in a book. So it's important for us to remember, and this is why we keep coming back to these things, because they tend to leak out of us. And we, we, can, tend to, to lose, we can tend to drift from the things that God calls us to do and to be. And so last week, Burns began our, our series by talking about probably the most foundational thing that we have, and that's the gospel. The gospel itself. The gospel is this, this, this good news. That's what the word means. This good news that God has taken his people from death to life. From darkness to light. An about face. A, a total recreation of his people. And is the gospel message that saves us. And this gospel then becomes our predominant and primary worldview the lens that we see the world through the gospel then becomes that thing the truth about God and who he is and what God has given us becomes our ultimate reality becomes our worldview and Jesus is the savior who rescues us from death and Jesus is the king who gives us a new way to live a good way to live the right way to live and we, as his people, are to go to him to receive that information about how we are to live now that we have been ransomed from death and brought into his family. This has become our main sort of operating system that we run our life through, the gospel, the truth about God, the truth about what he has done, the truth about who we used to be, the truth about who we are now, and all of that produces this fruit of what we are to now do as his people. Because God understands and God has wired us to be like him in many ways. We're created in his image and we, we are created to be like him in many ways. There are things about God that we'll never be like, but there are many things about God that God has shared with us and brought us into his, his nature and his character. One of those things is uh, this idea that who God is, fundamentally, what God knows to be true about himself, his character and his nature, gives shape to how he acts, what he does. The, thing that, the things that God prioritizes most are the things that, that he leads with in his action towards us and towards creation. They, they shape how he lives, how he acts towards us. This is a key, this is a really key principle for us as we try to understand Scripture. 
because we are in many ways wired up in this same way. This is true of us. What we do flows from what we most deeply believe to be true, what we love the most, what we prioritize the most, what we value the most. Whether we're fully consciously aware of it at all times or not, those are the things that are shaping the behaviors that we have, things that we do, how we organize our life. And we see this pattern all throughout Scripture, that, that, that God operates in this way. He, he establishes truth. He, he makes a declaration, and he establishes what to be true, and then he brings about what he says to be true. Right? What, he, what he prioritizes, he speaks into existence, and then that thing comes to be in his actions. We see this in Abram, this guy in the Old Testament named Abram. God comes to him. He has no children. He's really old, and God changes his name. He says, your name is now Abraham, which means father of many. And he gives this name to a guy who has no children and he's really old. Why? Because God is going to bring this about in him. God is speaking into existence. He's he's identifying Abram as this new thing. He's this new creation. You are going to be the father of many. And God is going to bring that about in him. And so he gives him this name. And sure enough, he gives him many children. There's a pattern and a flow that we see all throughout Scripture. God declaring things, God making things to be a reality, and then action following those declarations. And as we already said, when God saves us, He changes us. We become new creations. And He declares things to be true about us. He makes declarations about us as His people. He says that we're forgiven. He says that we're redeemed. That we are loved. That we're chosen. We're adopted. We're made alive. On and on we could go with these declarations of truth that God says to be true about us. And God does those things, right? And we we can see in Scripture that, that God makes us to be alive because of who He is, right? He says that because God is full of grace and mercy, He makes us alive in Christ. Because of who he is, he does what he does. And when he does what he does to us, it changes who we are. And because we become something new, then we do something new. You see the pattern and the flow that he's, that he's establishing for us? So our first point this morning is that God tells us who we are. This is part of this, this gospel worldview that, that Scott was talking about last week. When we go to him, we need to know who we are. We need to know God, tell us, you made us, you created us, you've rescued us, you've forgiven us, you've, clean, you've cleansed us, and you tell us now that you've brought us in. We were enemies of yours, and now we're not. And so we need you to tell us who we are, because who we are is going to give shape to how we are to live. And God gives us this information by his grace. <clears throat> and when God says something <clears throat> to be true about us, he does not lie. Let's look at our, our passage for today. First John, chapter three, verse one. <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Notice the language that we should be called children of God, 
And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, the language here is really important. We see this familial language. Father, children. Father and children. And this pattern here is is playing out for us that we just talked about. The pattern that God establishes. See, the Father, our Father, acting on our behalf. And it says that he has given us love. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard John Hansel talk about this idea of this love that God gives us. We're going to look at a different angle of this verse this week. But God has given us love. That's what he's given us. And the love that he's talking about here is not simply just a sentimental feeling. Not just a, it's not simply a sentimental feeling of affection. That certainly can be part of it. And it is part of it. God feels affection towards his children. But, it, but we, we can't just boil it down simply to that. We have to understand the full scope of what is being communicated to us in this word. Our word love doesn't really do it justice. We've talked about this before. The Greek word here is agape. This kind of love that commits. This is kind of love that commits to the well-being of the other person. It's a committed love. It's a dedicated love. It's the kind of love that would give its only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in Him might be saved. Sorry, I only have that one in King James. That's from deep in the well. Agape love is a purposed love. It's a committed love. It's a love that originates with God and it moves toward us because of God's nature. It's part of who He is. That's when we say God is love. This is, what, this is part of that picture, right? Of God's originating. Love originates from God because He is love. He is this perfect picture of committed, purposed love toward His people. And so the Father gives us this kind of love. And this is incredible. This is incredible. This is sort of all-inspiring kind of love. It's the love that takes us from being enemies to being children. And we're given a new identity. And it says, declaratively, and so we are. That's a huge phrase there. This is not just like a proposition of like, you could be this. Like God has positioned you well now to, to, to ascend to this position that could be yours. If you play your cards, no, no, this is, this is a declaration that God is making. And so we are. Boom, full stop. God declares it, and so it is. And there are a lot of metaphors in Scripture that are used to describe God's people. There are metaphorical, there's metaphorical language that we see. Sheep, branches, that kind of stuff. Spiritual family is not a metaphor, I don't believe. I think if we simply keep it in that category of metaphor, we're going to miss what the, the emphasis is here. It's not metaphor, it's not saying like we should be like a family. This is not metaphorical language. This is reality. 
He gives us the position and the identity as his children. And he declares it to be so. So the title of family is as metaphorical as God's work of salvation to bring us into his family is metaphorical. That's not metaphorical. Jesus didn't metaphorically die for our sins. He literally actually did die for our sins. He didn't metaphorically raise from the grave. He literally actually did. He doesn't metaphorically adopt us into his family. He literally actually adopts us into his family, right? You see the pattern here? So when we look at ourselves as God's family, it's not like, eh, you know, like Olive Garden. Hey, when you're here, you're family. <laughs> right? They don't, you're not going in there like, ah, my family. Like, no, it's like you're like family at Olive Garden for like a minute until you pay your check, and then you're not family anymore. There's a difference. So this isn't what God is communicating to us. Like, you could, you could like sort of be like a family. Or maybe like if you guys do it right, then maybe you could become a family. If you, live, if you just execute it right, then, yeah, then you'll, you'll really feel those family. No, there's, there's a declaration that has happened here. Not a metaphor, it's a declaration. Our position and identity is as his actual and real family. We are actually the children of God. That really happened. And that's never going to change. Because God declares it to be so, and he doesn't change his, his mind. Sorry, my Garth Brooks mic is acting up again. Hey, thanks, brother. <laughs> and John says here that this kind, of, this kind of thought, this idea doesn't really make sense to the world, is what he's, he's saying here. It doesn't make sense to the world. He says the world does not understand us. Doesn't it, when they look in and they go, ah, that doesn't make sense. What? Like, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you forgive that person? Why would you give them your money? Why would you invite them into your house? Why would you, like, that, that seems like, it doesn't make sense to the world. And that's okay, that's, that's good. This is what he's saying. It doesn't make sense to the world for a reason. Why? Well, the reason we, because it tells us, the reason we live this way is because of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't make sense for you to live this way. That's what he's saying. It, it doesn't make sense to them because they don't know they, they haven't seen him. They don't know him. They haven't been adopted into his family. They haven't been seated at his table. They haven't been brought into his, his house as members of his household. This goes back to that worldview, right? Jesus gives us, as his people, this new perspective on life. He gives us this new thing. And at first we go, what? That seems like a lot. <laughs> that seems really hard. And you're, yeah, you're right, it is, both. But it's good. Because Jesus is good. And what he says is good. Even if it doesn't make sense to us at first, it's going to make sense at some point. So this brings up a question. What then should this family look like? If we believe that all of this is true, how do we now live in light of this? 
What does it mean for us? Oftentimes we describe this as like this, this word community. Church community. We say that. A, a lot of churches talk about that. Community. We, have, we, we want, want good community here. And really what they're talking about is this idea of spiritual family. But we use that kind of buzzword for it. Community. Church community. And almost everyone will agree that community of some sort is important, whether you're a believer or not a believer. Everyone can sort of like acknowledge that to an extent. Even non-Christians will, 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 they have a sense that living life with other people has value and is needed in some way. But what makes God's community different? What sets it apart from the world? Well, I think, for one, a community is only as strong as what it's built on. A community is only really as strong as what it's built on. Ephesians 2 talks about this. It tells us that God's family is built on Jesus himself. We, we see in verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer, talking to the family of God, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's another declaration about who we are. This is what you are. You're, you're part of a new kingdom and a new family. And all of this, it says, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So when you're going to build a house, you've got to lay the footers first, the, the cornerstones of the house. And the rest of the house is only going to be as secure as those foundational pieces. The cornerstones of the house are, are going to determine the structural integrity of the house from that point on. And what this is telling us is that God is creating this new family, this new community, and the foundation for this community is none, nothing else other than Jesus Christ himself. He's the cornerstone, and he's built it up from there. He himself is the foundational piece of our community. We tend to organize, organize ourselves into a lot of different communities. Just in the past couple of years, I've been invited into buffalo chicken wing communities, pizza connoisseur communities, and now most recently, meat smoking communities, all with, on Facebook. There's all kinds of those communities out there. And that's, they are just that. They are a community of people who are gathered around a, a like-minded endeavor. Maybe it's smoked meats. Maybe it's Ohio State Buckeyes. Maybe it's the kind of books that you read. Maybe it's uh, uh, moms of little kids. I don't know. There's all kinds of ways that we tend to organize ourselves in communities. But those communities are only as strong as what they are built on. And you notice this as you tend to move through different phases of your life. It's not wrong or sinful to organize yourself in other kinds of communities. You just have to understand that the strength of those communities are not as ultimate and as true as the community that God has placed us in as his family. So be a part of this. The meat, come join us in the meat smokers group. It's, it's fine. But that's not who I'm looking to, to share my deepest heart and my needs with. There's somewhere else that that's intended to happen. 
common interests, income level, number of kids, location, all of those. As those things change, so does our community tend to change. You notice this when you first get married. Like you have all your group of friends and then you get married and then like that friend, friend group sometimes just gets cut like in half or like three-fourths fall out because now you're married. Or then you get kids and then like it gets even smaller. And then you have a lot of kids and then it gets really small. You see, it's just it's kind of a natural progression of life. And it doesn't, it doesn't always, you know, you don't lose all your friends with everything you do, but... You, you can notice how the, the dynamics of the community around you changes based upon the, the life stages that you go through. And, but for us, the gospel is the foundation. Christ himself is the foundation for what we're trying to do here, this community, this family. And it, and it propels us as we try to live for each other. It's what, it's what shapes us and it's what propels us. It's what calls us together, and it's what spurs us on. Jesus himself, the spirit that he's given us, our shared adoption. To quote Jeremy Treat, he says, When we get God as our father, we get each other as brothers and sisters, and there's no opt-out policy. And this is true. When When we get adopted into the family of God, God is our Father. But we have also been adopted into a group of brothers and sisters all around us, all over the globe, that we are now united to. And there's debate about this, but I've heard this expression. You've heard the expression, blood is thicker than water. Some would say that the origins of that, we often think of that to mean like, your family is thicker than friendships, right? Your, your relationships within family are, are better than those of not family. It's kind of how I think we tend to think of that phrase. But some would say that the, the origins of that phrase come from the, the, the expression, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of birth. And what it's trying to communicate is this idea of the, the bond that we have in Christ with each other is to be stronger than that of even our biological families, if needed. Jesus kind of references these kind of things. Like, when he uses these words like hating your father and mother, it's like, whoa. Like, but but he, he's calling us to this idea that being a part of his family is the greatest connection of community that we will have for the rest of eternity. And we are to, we are to think about it in such a way. So it's important. In our communities are to be built on the gospel. But the challenge, it can be challenging, as we said, right? Some people, some of you hear us say, hey, the church is a family, and you go, uh, no, thank you. I have one of those, and I'm not interested in having another one of those. Right? It's true. Maybe because you have a great family, and you don't think you need another one. Or you don't have a great family, and you think, I I think I'm going to pass on that idea of family. I've seen how families work, and I'm not interested in that. Maybe that's the case. Well, flourishing as God's family will often require us to sort of deconstruct and reconstruct our worldly view of what a family is. We have to import God's perspectives into our 
grid for what we think a family is and how it works. We can't just take what we've seen in our family and say, okay, well, that's what this is supposed to look like. No, we have to go back into this world and say, okay, Christ, show us, teach us now what this new family is to look like. Maybe it's some of the things that you got from your regular family. Maybe it's some of the, not some of those things. But, but we go to him to receive that information primarily. And this will help us to flourish. And God sets this example for what his family should look like. He gives us this example. He's the father of this family. He provides the leadership and the vision for the family. He sets the example of forgiveness and patience and grace for the family. He sets the tone for generosity and provision for the family. So many of the things that our earthly families, our earthly fathers fail at, me included, God perfectly accomplishes as our heavenly father. He's the the, the true and the better father for all of us. And so what can we learn from him? Well, he has given us all that we need and more. And he has committed to us despite our failures and our flaws. He's given us all that we could ever need and more. And he commits to us despite our failures and our flaws. That's the agape love. So, we're to live like this. We're to share our hearts and our lives with each other. And we're to stay at the table. We share our hearts. We share our lives. And we stay at the table. We don't cut bait as soon as it gets hard. I know that's hard. there's There's a tendency in all of us to want to do that. I know that. I feel that tendency every day. But God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't just lop us off and move on when we're hard to deal with. He sets the tone for us. He sets the patterns for us. When we see the, the church through this lens, the, the lens of the identity that God has given us as his family, we can begin to see the church as more than just a collection of events that we attend. Not just a collection of events that we, we go to. It's different. It's more of an all-of-life endeavor. And Jesus tells us that this is a powerful witness. And John alludes to this. But Jesus says it first. and He says that the world will know that we belong to him by the way that we love one another. This is how they'll see. They'll notice this difference. We, talk, we see it in our passage today. Like It doesn't make sense to the world. But they can see the difference. They can spot the difference. We have to understand that God has established us as his family already. And if we fail to believe this reality, we're going to to be doing both ourselves and the world around us a disservice. We're going to miss out. Is it going to be easy? No. But it's good. It's good for us, and it's good for the world to see it. It's good. It's God's way. It's his, it's his prescribed way for his glory to advance, for his kingdom to advance, for the gospel to spread, for people to be loved and cared for. It's his way. And so, as we close, I want to I leave us with 
with three things that I think help us. They help me in my heart and my mind. You've probably heard me say these things before, many of you, but I think they help us as we think about the collision that happens in our hearts whenever we try to think about this topic or engage with this topic. But these are things that I think if we, if we can pursue them together, they will bear great fruit in our, in our spiritual families. And I've also nicely alliterated them for you. So you can remember them easy. So there's three things. Purpose, proximity, and permission. Now, if, we're, if I'm honest, and you should hope that I'm being honest, I am being honest. If I'm honest, all three of these things, as I teach them, and as I explain them, and as the Lord has sort of taught me these things, most of what's inside me wants to run the opposite direction of all three of these things. <laughs> all the time. There's only and ever, by His Spirit, and His Spirit alone, that I'm even getting close to even resembling any of these three things. My flesh does not want these things. So let's, let's talk briefly about them. The first one, purpose. The purpose of our communities, as we've said, is the gospel. It's the, the purpose of our community. It's what, it's what calls us together. It's what shapes us. It's what brings us to existence. It's what propels us. It's what we are to be talking about. It's what we're, we're to be sharing with each other. It's what we're to be sharing outside of our communities. Everything in and about our community is purposed around the gospel itself. It's our worldview that we see it through. But me, I often want to surround myself with people who are just like me, and they're easy to be around. But that's not how God treated me. I wasn't like him, and I wasn't easy to be around, and I'm still not. So I have to see the spiritual family of God in the same way that he sees me. And this is, this is part of the beauty of RMCs. This is why we really strive to emphasize these and, and, and organize ourselves in these ways. Because they tend to put us around people who aren't exactly like us. In close quarters. But this is often what we need the most. As we try to grow spiritually, as we try to grow up into Christ in every way, we need people who are not just exactly like us. In fact, we need people who are different from us. Because they have different experiences and giftings and, and wisdom and knowledge and life experience and all this stuff that, that I need. And God, has, and God knows that I need. And so he puts me next to them. And it's like this picture that we see in the Bible of iron, sharpening iron. It's a collision. But at the end, something good is produced from it. It's not pretty. Have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? You have to like wear a mask. It's not a pretty thing, but it's a good thing to be stretched and to be grown and to be cared for in ways that we don't even know that we need most of the time. And God brings people from all walks of life into his family, and he gives them all his spirit. Every single one of them, he gives his spirit so that we can all speak the truth and love to one another, and we can all grow up into Christ in every way. Not just in the way that's, ways that we think are important, but in all the ways. And that's, that's really important. Second thing is proximity. Whoo, boy. 
my wife is laughing. She just started laughing immediately. This one is very hard for me in my flesh. Naturally, I'm a very introverted person. I know. People always say that. Jeez. That's naturally in my, in, my, in my flesh of flesh, right? I want to hide. I want to hole up on my couch with my kids piled on, my wife there, nice spread of Irish cheddar in front of me. And I just want to stay there. I might invite a few people in every now and then, but generally that's what the sphere I'd like to be in. And after I'm done, I'll give you a minute. I got, I'm running out of time. And I can, I can, in my flesh, I can really lean into that introversion if I'm not careful. I can lean into it. I need the Spirit of God to pull me out of my desires to hide, to isolate. I'm not called to, to superficial associations with the family of God. It's not what I'm called to. And if I don't believe that, then it'll be easy for me to just be a, a solo guy. But that's not what I'm called to. That's not what God has, has put me into. And so I have, to, I have to be corrected by what He says. I'm called to be known and to be loved. And I'm called to know and love others. Both. If I, if I claim to, to love you but I don't know you, how, how significant is that love feel? But if I, I really know you, and I don't love you, that's kind of a scary thing. Right? But this is how God loves us. He, he fully knows us. He knows everything about us, everything we've ever done or thought or said, and He loves us committedly. He commits to love us, in the, knowing us fully, better than anyone else knows you, and He still loves you. And He's for you. And this is the shape that we're to, to, of love that we're to have towards each other, to know each other and to love each other in the midst of it. And it's impossible for us to do if we don't live in proximity with each other. We can hide from anyone for two hours on a Sunday morning. It's really easy to hide if you just show up on Sunday. I, I know better than anyone. How are we supposed to help bear one another's burdens if we don't know what they are? We've got to be around each other. We've got to be in proximity with God's people. It's important. And it takes work. It takes intentionality. You have to be intentional about it. A lot of times we think of that as additional. Like, I've got to add all this stuff. Think about it as intentional. Take what you're already doing and bring people into it. Be around them. It doesn't have to be pretty. And finally, permission. Proximity alone is not enough. We must also give each other permission to speak the truth in love when our blind spots begin to be exposed. This is hard. This is a hard one. I hate this one. But it's a good, it's a good thing, and I need it. And I know I need it, but I need the Spirit to help me believe that it's actually good for me. And this permission that we give each other is both implied to an extent and intentionally given. Have you ever given someone explicit permission to speak into your life? 
Have you ever gone to someone and said, hey, I need you, I'm asking you now, to speak into my life. When you see something going wrong, I want you to speak into my life. That way, in six months from now, when you do it, you can point back to this conversation. When I get all upset and defensive, you can say, hey, you told me to do this. And I go, oh, yeah, you're right. That scares the bejeebies out of me. But in my flesh, if, I, if I'm trusting in the Spirit, and if I believe that, that God has actually given the people around me His same Spirit that I have in me, then I can rest in that. And I can trust that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you and it's in me. And so if you have something to say to me, I should at least give you my ear. I should at least listen to what you have to say. I should at least give some credence to what you have to say. That doesn't mean you're always going to be right. But it gives, you, it gives you my ear. It gives you a seat at my table. And I should take seriously and prayerfully what you have to say to me if you are really in the Spirit. So we've got we to gotta understand the purpose of our community. We have to understand the proximity is important. We have to be with each other. And we have to, within that, understand that we, we give each other permission to speak into our, one another's lives. And if we, can, if we can kind of go after those things, they're hard. Trust me, they're hard. But I, I, think, that, I think those are the kinds of things that really will help our, our communities to flourish, our family to flourish. I just want to close with this quote that I've, I found from, from Paul Tripp years ago. Paul Tripp is an older guy, way older than me. He's been in ministry probably longer than I've been alive. And I found his words when I found them striking to me. He says this. He says, I have come to understand that I need others in my life. This is a guy who's been in ministry for years and years and years, decades. And he's writing these words. That I need others in my life. I now know that I need to commit myself to living an intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I now know it's my job to seek this community out, to invite people to interrupt my private conversation and to say things to me that I couldn't or wouldn't say to myself. This is a man who's, who's done ministry for, for 40 plus years, and he's writing these words, and he's saying, I, this is what I'm realizing. Let's not wait 40 years into our walk with Jesus to realize this, the importance of this, seeking this out. I, I love how he puts that in there. It's my job, it's your job, it's our job to seek it out, to pursue it, to put ourselves in the position of those communities. And for all of us, to one another, to, to hold those those definers up, intentionally intrusive, but Christ-centered and grace-driven. Some of you hear that intentionally intrusive, and you go, ooh. But no, no. Christ-centered and grace-driven and redemptive for our good, filled with grace. And to interrupt our private conversations and to say things to us that we desperately need to hear. And he'll do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you for this really hard but glorious and beautiful thing that you have made your family. And we need your help. 
Our flesh doesn't understand it, but by your spirit, you can help us. You can help us to, to understand this. You can help us to live in these ways. You can help us to grow in, in our love for one another. You can help us to, to receive from you this new perspective on our lives. And God, we desperately need you to help us to do this. If we try this in our flesh, it gets messy real quick. But by your spirit, you can bring the beauty out in us, in and through our community. By your spirit, in and through us, you can bring this redemptive community to be. And so we ask you for it. And we thank you, God, and we, we praise you for the ways that you have already blessed us in these ways, in so many ways, in this beautiful collection of people that you've put around us, God. So many of us have felt these things very real and very tangibly, God, and so we ask for more. And we praise you for it, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.